Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Mark 13, verses 14 to 23, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 13, verses 14 to 23. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house, to take anything out, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or Look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. This is the word of the Lord. We are taught in these verses the lawfulness of using means to provide for our own personal safety. The language of our Lord Jesus Christ on the subject is clear and unmistakable. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him that is on the housetop not go down to the house. Let him that is in the field not turn back again. Pray that your flight may not be in winter. Not a word is said to make us suppose that flight from danger, in certain circumstances, is unworthy of a Christian. As to the time prophesied of in the passage before us, men may differ widely. But as to the lawfulness of making measures to avoid peril, the teaching of the passage is plain. The lesson is one of wide application and of much usefulness. A Christian is not to neglect the use of means because he is a Christian in the things of this life any more than the things of the life to come. A believer is not to suppose that God will take care of him and provide for his needs if he does not make use of means and the common sense which God has given him as well as other people. Beyond doubt, he may expect the special help of his Father in heaven in every time of need, but he must expect it in the diligent use of lawful means. To profess to trust God while we idly sit still and do nothing is nothing better than fantasism and brings religion into contempt. The Word of God contains several instructive examples to the subject to which we shall do well to take heed. The conduct of Jacob when he went to meet his brother Esau is a striking case in point. He first prays a most touching prayer and then sends his brother a carefully arranged present. Genesis 32 verses 9 to 13. The conduct of Hezekiah when Sennacherib came against Jerusalem is another case. With us, he tells the people, is the Lord our God to fight our battles. And yet at the same time, he built up the walls of the city and made darts and shields, 2 Chronicles 32.5. The conduct of Paul is another case. Frequently, we read of his fleeing from one place to another to preserve life. Once we see him let down from the walls of Damascus by a basket. Once we hear him telling the soldiers on board the Alexandrian ship, Except the shipmen abide on the ship, you cannot be saved. Acts 27.31 We know the great apostle's faith and confidence. We know his courage and reliance on his master. 
And yet we see that even he never despised the use of means. Let us not be ashamed to do likewise. One thing only let us bear in mind. Let us not rest upon means while we use them. Let us look far beyond them to the blessing of God. It is a great sin to be like Asa and seek not to the Lord but to the physicians. To use all means diligently and then leave the whole event in the hand of God is the mark at which a true believer ought to aim. We are taught for another thing in these verses, the great privileges of God's elect. Twice in the passage our Lord uses a remarkable expression about them. He says of the great tribulation, Except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he has chosen, he has shortened the days. He says again of the false Christs and false prophets, that they show signs and wonders to deceive, if it were possible, the elect. It is plain from this and other passages in the Bible that God has an elect people in the world. They are those, according to the 17th article of our church, whom he has decreed by his counsel, secret to us, to deliver from curse and damnation those whom he has chosen in Christ out of mankind and decreed to bring by Christ to everlasting salvation as vessels made to honor. End quote. To them and them only belong the great privileges of justification, sanctification, and final glory. They and they only are called by the Spirit in due season. They and they only obey the calling. They are made sons of God by adoption. They are made like the image of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. They walk religiously in good works and at length, by God's mercy, attain to everlasting happiness. To them belong the precious promises of the gospel. They are the bride, the Lamb's wife. They are the body of Christ. They are those whom God especially cares for in the world. Kings, princes, noblemen, rich men are all nothing in God's eyes compared to his elect. These things are plainly revealed in Scripture. The pride of man may not like them, but they cannot be denied. The subject of election is, no doubt, deep and mysterious. Unquestionably, it has been often sadly perverted and abused. But the misuse of truths must not prevent us from using them. Rightly used and fenced with proper precautions, election is a doctrine full of sweet, pleasant, and unspeakable comfort. Before we leave the subject, let us see what these cautions are. For one thing, we must never forget that God's election does not destroy man's responsibility and accountableness for his own soul. The same Bible which speaks of election always addresses men as free agents and calls them to repent, to believe, to seek, to pray, to strive, to labor. In our doings, most wisely says the 17th article, that will of God is to be followed, which we have expressly declared unto us in the word of God. For another thing, let us never forget that the great thing we have to do is to repent and believe the gospel. We have no right to take any comfort from God's election unless we can show plain evidence of repentance and faith. We are not to stand still, troubling ourselves with anxious speculations whether we are the elect or not, when God commands us plainly to repent and believe. Acts 17.30 and 1 John 3.23 Let us cease to do evil. Let us learn to do well. Let us break off from sin. Let us lay hold on Christ. Let us draw near to God in prayer. 
so doing, we shall soon know and feel whether we are God's elect. To use the words of an old divine, we must begin at the grammar school of repentance and faith before we go on to the university of election. It was when Paul remembered the faith and hope and love of the Thessalonians that he said, I know your election of God. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today. May the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for his glory. In considering what we've just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, do we believe that means are not contrary to trust in God? With that said, do we rely on means or on the God who orchestrates what takes place? When situations take place, are we quicker to pray or act? Second, does the doctrine of election bring up thoughts of dislike and controversy, or is it a doctrine full of sweet, pleasant, and unspeakable comfort? Third, does the doctrine of election give you ease, or does it motivate you to repent, believe, seek, pray, strive, and labor? Election that brings ease and carelessness is proof of not being elect. Are we, like Second Peter says, making our calling and election sure?